0: Hi Tim.
1: Patty, how are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm really excited. Um, we have a great show with a friend of yours.
1: Yeah. Patty and I interviewed the one and only Adam Carroll. And Adam is just an incredible guy. And we thought he would definitely add a lot of value to our listeners because he's actually in the process of making a documentary called Broke, Busted, and Disgusted. And it's all about, you know, is a college education obsolete? Or at least, you know, the way we're going about it, is it obsolete? So it was a lot of fun to, to kind of get his take on that.
0: Yeah, he's so smart and he has so many dimensions to his brand and just this incredible following that he has created with the Gen Y Society. So uh, really pushing the envelope on this whole notion that people have to get into, or I should say specifically Americans have to get into this debt, like this incredible debt in order to get an education that isn't even going to really promise you a successful career or even a career for that matter. So I love his whole take on this.
1: So, I think without further ado, let's cue up our interview with the one Adam Carroll.
2: Do you believe there is more to your career than waiting for the gold watch in 40 years? Did you know that the average American spends 200 hours a year commuting to a job they probably hate? Does it frost your ass to get a 2% raise that barely keeps up with the rate of inflation? have you ever worked for a boss hole we know how you feel and we want to help welcome to the boss free society podcast your entertaining entrepreneur therapy session with your hosts tim wambach and patty dominguez couch not included
0: we're live (laughs) how's it going patty I am awesome, Tim, and I just want to give you a big shout out. Handicap this just hit hundred thousand fans on Facebook, so Thank that you. is huge. Yeah, it's pretty much mon-
1: it's monumental, monumental. We're definitely proud of that, and you know, it's been five years that, of just consistency and perseverance, and that pretty much is a testament to those those qualities. And and we're excited to see what what happens in 2015.
0: Absolutely. That's what it's all about. It's consistency over time, which compounds. And I'm sure our guest is going to enlighten us with his journey as well.
1: I'm excited because, you know, our guest has done a lot of pretty darn cool things. (laughs) Share away. I want to hear all right, so I'm not going to hide it. His name is Adam Carroll. Uh, Adam is the founder of National Financial Educators. Uh, he's the author of uh, Winning the Money Game. He's currently working on his second book, that's two, called You Don't Know Me from Adam. But the really, I think the really big thing that he's working on right now, and I really want to dive into this, is this huge film project. It's actually a documentary. It's titled Broke busted and disgusted. And it's all about the student loan crisis in America. I could go on and on about Adam's accomplishments, but let's talk to the man himself, Adam Carroll. Welcome to the Boss Free Society
3: podcast. Well, thank you for having me, both of you. I'm so excited to be here. This is awesome.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Adam. So I want to know, broke, busted and disgusted. I mean, that's like a jarring title, right? So Mm -hmm. how did this come to be? Because I have a feeling we're all gonna, it it evokes that passion. So this is clearly a passion project, yes?
3: Oh, this is a passion project beyond all passion projects, Patty, which is really hard to say. You should try that five times. (laughs) Uh, You know, I've been speaking on college campuses for the past 10 years plus. And when I started my journey of teaching financial literacy to college students, uh, it was normal for students to have somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars in student loans. and And so, when someone would tell me those numbers, it didn't really startle me. I graduated with probably around that, maybe a little bit more. And over the past several years, the numbers have gotten just exceedingly bigger. I mean exceptionally so. we I'm hearing people graduating with sixty to eighty, sometimes one hundred or one hundred and twenty thousand dollars for their bachelor's degree, not even a master's degree. And it occurred to me that what was going on in our society was people were sort of operating from these long-held beliefs that you go to college, you get a degree, then you get a good job. But as they come out, they're so deeply in debt that they have to take whatever job is offered to them. And in many cases, it's something that doesn't require the degree, but still pays them more than they might make in the, you know, the major that they pursued. I and two other filmmakers partnered up to create this documentary, which uh, I'm excited to tell you guys about today.
0: That's excellent. Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: I've heard that you guys have, you know, obviously interviewing a lot of incredible people. Could you share with us some of maybe the people that our audience might might know about or just in general, like some, some uh, stories that you've kind of come
3: across? Yeah, you bet. Well, I'll tell you the stories are amazing and we've actually sat in front of presidents of universities we've talked with financial aid directors and the most amazing interviews for us are the people who are really, really passionate about the situation they're in or helping people out of the situations they're in. And one such guy, um, he's a guy by the name of Michael Finley and he's not a household name, but he will soon become a household name. Uh, he is known as the crazy guy in the pink wig and Michael Finley is a uh, retired military guy who went back to college, as a non-traditional student and started the first ever financial literacy club at the state university. And it, it, it became the fastest growing club on campus. And this guy is so passionate about what he's doing. He's literally giving away a hundred thousand dollars of his own money uh, for students who go through his course and then take a test at the end of the semester. And this is sort of an open to everyone thing, but we, we found characters like Michael, Um, We are actually sitting down with Mitch Daniels, who is the president of Purdue University, and he was the governor of Indiana for two terms, um, contemplated running for president. Uh, This guy is, our intention is that his interview will be amazing, and I'm sure it will. And then we're going after people like Robert Reich. He was the former labor secretary under Bill Clinton and is now a professor at UC Berkeley. And so we're going to make a trek out to California in January, and we're sitting with Robert and hopefully the uh, the former chancellor of Berkeley itself so lots of really amazing interviews in the can already and more to come
1: now have you received any like any pushback from these institutions or any you know any like people trying to say hey maybe you should be going
3: down that road interestingly enough the schools those the schools that respond back to our requests and are eager to get in front of the camera have a story to tell they're doing things right they're changing the dynamics of a three or four year bachelor's program. They're changing the way money is borrowed on campus, those kinds of things. Those that have not responded to our requests, uh, and there have been a few of those, uh, (laughs) I, I, I think they're afraid that what we're making is a smear piece. And it really is. And our goal for the film is to be inspiring and uplifting and, you know, show people that that traditional economic model of college right now will put you in a lifetime of debt if you're not prepared for it. But there are other alternatives. And so our goal is to start a dialogue around what some of those other alternatives are.
0: So and, I'm sorry, Jim, go no, ahead. Go, no, Patty, go. No, I was just going to say, I mean, you're really looking at this as more of a movement. So it does have, to me, from what I'm hearing you say, Adam, it has a lot of different legs to it, right? It so does. it's that financial education for that mm-hmm. student it's a call to action for the colleges and the way that they're modeling that. And then, so, you know, when I think of movement, it really is a long type of, it's kind of like a long range plan. So, I mean, how do you see this evolving? Because it, it has a lot of legs and a lot of potential.
3: Yeah, You know, this, our intent is for a million people to view the film and for a million people to download the corresponding workbook or whatever we end up creating that goes along with it. It's been suggested to us that we create the blue collar economic guide to funding a world class education. The idea being that anyone can go to college and we, we certainly encourage people to further their education beyond high school, but the, you know, go to school for four or five or six years, find yourself while you're there borrow extensively to do so that doesn't create a boss free society to use your (laughs) guys' language. What it creates is a, a, a lifetime of indentured servitude. And unfortunately, that's what students are signing up for though. They don't realize it. They're just doing what they've been told to do, which is go to school, get a degree, get a good job. And, and I think honestly, Patty, to answer your question, this is a long term conversation and dialogue and movement that we're creating Um, For 30 years, you know, since the mid-1970s, we've heard that, that logic of go to school, get a degree, get a good job. And until about early 2000, the advice actually was pretty valid. And then what happened was job creation was outpaced by graduate production. So we had more graduates every year than they had jobs to go out for. And so the logic just doesn't work anymore. You know, go to school, get a degree, get a good job. It's not, it's just not true. And unfortunately, because it's such a long held belief, it is going to take some time and lots of effort on our part to change that program.
0: So to that point then, Adam, I mean, what do you see? Because I, in terms of this evolution, revolution, because I think it's, again, another leg to it is not necessarily potentially going to to get a four-year degree i mean do you see that i mean i guess what would be your your utopia of how things could look like so that it's progressive i mean is this a model that you've seen in other countries perhaps or just what you guys envision with your partners on how this can kind of be corrected
3: yeah it's a great question and and unfortunately has so many layers you know, to the onion as we peel it back because we've, we've said, well, who's to blame? Who's at fault? You know, as we do this finger pointing section and the reality is there isn't one person to blame. This is not just government. It's not just the university. It's not just students. It's all of the above and they're all entangled in it. And so for us to create this utopian society, I don't know exactly what it looks like. Um, Some have said all college must be free. But I don't know that I believe in that because I think students need to have some skin in the game in order right. to to go and, and be fully in, engaged in it. But I don't think necessarily, and this is just my perspective, I don't think we need a four-year bachelor's program in order for someone to go sit at a job at an insurance company or to learn marketing. Or, you know, a, a good friend of mine, um, one of his daughters learned, it was basically you know, window retailing, like how do you do fashion merchandising and things like that? Does it take four years to learn how to put the right clothes on a mannequin and market merchandise clothing? I just think that what we've created is this boilerplate system that no longer exists. You know, we're preparing kids for jobs that don't exist anymore and we charge them overinflated amounts to do so. And I think it just requires a little more conscious, spending around education. Because right now where we're at is we're very unconscious in how we spend money on education.
0: I love that. And I also think that the dynamic of the world in which we live in, the evolution, I mean, the marketplace is global. And I almost think there's a stigma against saying, oh, I went to a trade school, right? There's a stigma. What people are paying is that designer name. But at the same time, those people are in debt. And then I know that in my entrepreneurial ventures, I come across different people who own their own business who are saying, I truly do not apply things that I've learned in undergrad or in my MBA, Right. for example, because the reality is that things have changed, right? Since we graduated from college. So I think that's just a great. Concept to say, yeah. If you want to be a fashion designer, you don't need to go to school for four years. I I mean, that in itself is a movement. You know, that's so smart.
3: Well, amazingly enough, thank you for saying that, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly. One of the comments that was made by one of our interviewees, they said, "Well, you can't make it into the middle class without a degree." And I wanted to call BS on him right there because there are cases upon cases upon cases of people who've come to this country or who've grown up in this country that started with nothing and built very successful businesses or um, you know, did something on their own, created a company, uh, built a product, innovated, invented, whatever it may be, that very easily make it into the middle class and didn't ever have the college degree. So I think there's a myth that's perpetuated. Now, is it easier to go out and get a job with a degree? Yes, right now that, that is the case. But I also see that changing. You know, companies like Google have recently announced that a degree is not really that important to them, that, you know, a, a large percentage of their team and a growing number of people in their company either have no college experience or or no college degree. And I think we'll see more and more of that happen as it spreads across the country.
1: Yeah, because a like place like Google, you know, they're creating their culture and then they don't need the, the college culture to ruin that, to ruin what they're trying to build with, with their company.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Boil all this down to one of the simplest messages I could give is that the whole idea and why I love your guys' podcast on on the Boss Free Society is it requires a, a couple things. One is the ability to handle risk effectively, to go out on your own and, and be boss free, but there's taking risks and then there's taking, or there's being risky and then there's taking calculated risks. And I think that there is a calculated risk that's taken when someone goes to school and borrows $60,000, let's say, to get an engineering degree where they know they're going to come out making $80,000. That's a calculated risk. It's risky to go in and borrow the same sixty or eighty or or $100,000 to get a French literature or an education degree uh, nothing against either one,
0: exactly.
3: but to think that you're going to go out and make enough money to cover that nut and your lifestyle is, is ri- it's ridiculous. It's just flat out risky. And we're not telling students that we're just saying, Hey, do whatever it takes to get your degree. And then life will be rosy after that. And unfortunately that's just not the case. Like it's no. got, you've got to have some conscious decisions made along the way. It's a business decision.
0: Have you guys talked about, you know, with your documentary, even exploring the concept of teaching financial education? I mean, I know that, you know, into my 20s, I learned some hard lessons around spending and and all that. I mean, even that or even like a risk assessment class, to your point, that would be hugely beneficial. So have you guys explored some supplemental education alongside perhaps an undergrad
3: yeah, we have, and we've talked to schools about it. There are some, my alma mater, in fact, is it holds a class now, and it's called the Live Like a Student program, which is a step in the right direction. I'm not going to say it's perfect, and I don't know that it's executed flawlessly yet, but I think more and more schools will go to a point where they're teaching financial education. Unfortunately, one of the things that we're hearing is people will say, well, it's not a four-credit class. Oh, and to me that's that's the you know it's crazy to me that you're not offering two credit hours or one credit hour for a class where kids go in and, and learn how to manage their money and understand how much they're borrowing and all of that. So yes it's absolutely critical Patty and I think that more and more people need to be taught financial education from a very early <laughs> um, you know an early age. in fact uh, you guys Tim I know you know this Patty you may not but I did a, a TEDx talk at UW-Milwaukee not too long ago, and it was on the changing economic realities of college. And it's this whole idea that I've asked hundreds of students if, if you had $60,000 in student loans at 6.8% interest, which is the average rate right now, and you had 10 years to pay it off, how much would your payments be? And the students respond one of three ways. They either give me like a deer in the headlights, I have no idea, to they'll say, oh, I don't about $100 a month, <laughs> to, to, to $1,200 a month. And the $1,200 figure doesn't register shock and awe with them, but it would be half of the take-home pay of someone making about $34,000 a year, which is a right around the average starting salary. Exactly. So students, they have no clue of how much they're borrowing, and financial education is at the, the, it is at the core of this. To that end, I, I actually just got invited to do another TEDx talk this one is at the London Business School. Nice. Get out. Yes, in Marylebone, awesome. London, England. And this one is going to be on building financial capacity in young children. And what do you teach kids about money from an early age that better yeah. prepares them for the decisions they're going to make as teenagers? And so you're, you're spot on, Patty. It's, it's got to be financial education, and that's where we start.
0: So tell us how you've learned all this stuff with the financial education. Is your background in finance? How did this
3: evolve? No, no, my, <laughs> trust me, I was like the biggest money idiot in college. I was a rich college kid. So I graduated with $28,000 in student loans and eight grand in credit card debt. You know, I was upside down on my car. My dog had just died at home. My girl oh, had Lord. left me at school. I sounded like every Dirk Bentley song ever written. <laughs> and I realized that I... Lived like a rich college kid on borrowed money from the government, from MBNA, from Chase, and then when I got out, I became a broke professional, and I ate more Totinos and Top Ramen than I even care to admit to. Oh, that's gross. Um, <laughs> they were delicious at the time. It's 850 calories of pure sodium. Nice. Those, just a big, and, uh, just a big salt packet. That's right. That's right. But I, I met my wife who, um, I met her my senior year in college and she gave me some great advice. She said, get rid of your debt or I'm going to get rid of you. <laughs> and, uh, she was the most financially savvy woman I'd ever met in the midst of our courtship. Um, I started reading financial books and I read about 120 books on money in about two and a half years. And wow. in that amount of time, Jen and I started paying off all of our debt. And so by the time we were around 25 or 26, we had no student loans, no credit cards, no car loans. And the only thing we had was a mortgage. And so I, I've learned it the hard way, but but I, I say it's the hard way, but it was really the easy way. I basically did for two years what most people wouldn't do. And um, and now I'm able to do for the rest of my life what most people can't do.
0: That's so, so smart.
3: Yeah. So it's that's what we want to teach people. You know, it's, it's about making short-term decisions that have long-term impact.
0: So for our entrepreneurs or people looking to take that leap into entrepreneurship, uh, so financial education is important to them too. So not just Mm -hmm. the Gen Y and people in college and whatnot. What are the books that you have found to be really helpful or just some tips along those lines to help um, gain some financial clarity?
3: Well, so there's two or three that come to mind right off the top of my head. The first one that got me on the path was Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. The second was his, his second book, The Cash Flow mm-hmm. Quadrant. The Cash Flow Quadrant for me was all about changing my mindset from being an employee to being self-employed and a business owner and an investor at the same time. Yes. And at any given time, I've been, I've been all four at once. I've been three at once. You know, I would say today I'm more self-employed and investor oriented Mm -hmm. because most of what I do does require me, you know, my involvement to make the money, but I'm building other businesses that don't as well. So my goal has always been to stay in those quadrants. Uh, One of the books that stood out out for me was uh, The Millionaire Next Door by Robert Stanley. Mm -hmm. And is it Robert Stanley and Richard Danko? I think it is. Yeah, I think that's right. It's probably on both of your shelves. Yeah,
0: it, is. it is. I'm just it looking is. over right now. I'm like, yeah, what I I read that one so long ago. That may be a a, a reread.
3: Well, in order. I'll tell you, it's a great book that's a reminder that the wealth some of the wealthiest people in America are the ones that live right next door that drive ten year old Fords and right. you know. They live, responsibly. And, and so they live responsibly. It's all within their means. And those books are really instrumental. Classics like uh, the Wealthy Barber and The Richest Man in Babylon. Those are both great, you know, classic books. And then I went back in the archives and pulled out A Random Walk Down Wall Street, which was one of the first Wall Street books. Um, Phil Town has a couple of great books. One is called Rule One Investor or Rule One Investing, and the other one is called Payback Time. And both are really good. Um, the one that I'm reading right now, which I'll do a selfless. Uh, yeah, yes, I'm, I'm,
0: we all have it.
1: Yeah, we, I got it on Kindle and on the, yes. uh, and the hard copy.
3: Yeah. So it's amazing. great. It's great. And I can, you know, it's his voice and everything. So it's just a great book.
0: Yeah. But, if we could um, just say, if we could just say what book that is, because we're on oh, visually that's right, right that's now. True. So it's Tony <laughs> Robbins money. What is it called?
3: Money master, master the game. The game. Yeah. Seven <laughs> simple steps to financial freedom. And I will say that, From an investor standpoint, Tony is really talking about dollar cost averaging and putting in money, you know, routinely over time, which is not necessarily how I invest. I mean, I've, I have made no bones about my desire to pay off all of my debt. And um, I'm about 12 months away from having a paid off house. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Uh, We have, we have cars paid off and, and all of that. At that point, then all of our attention and effort goes into creating massive abundance Mm -hmm. in life so it's you know what we were putting towards the house now goes to rental real estate it goes to kids college funds which is silly um i don't really my kids college funds are are duplexes and fourplexes i don't believe in putting money in 529 plans because quite frankly i don't necessarily know that my kids will go to college or i'll you know insist that they do i think one or two or all three of my kids have the potential to start a business in their teenage years or twenties and build it up to be very successful and not need that college degree. And that the whole need college degree in air quotes, it's kind of ridiculous cause I don't think anyone really needs it. That's just the story we've all been told.
0: So how long have you been an entrepreneur?
3: I have been an entrepreneur for about the last eight years. 10 years officially in 2004, I started national financial educators, but there was a couple of years in there where I dipped into employeehood, or employeedom, Yes. And, um, and it was out of necessity. I had two youngsters at home and my wife said, Oh yeah, you're going to travel all over while I'm here with young babies. I don't think so. <laughs> so to both pay the bills and appease my wife, I did that. But, but it was pretty readily apparent that I, for the most part, pretty much unemployable. Mm-hmm.
1: Now you said uh, you know for the last eight years you've pretty much been, been an entrepreneur with mm-hmm. few, you know give you know you, you you've about ten years but you weren't always exclusive right uh, yep yep <laughs> what would you say like what what what's a big learning experience that you've had in that journey because we all have different journeys we all have different you know different aha moments but what were some some things that you kind of gleaned from from your eight years eight years plus.
3: You know, this is like the greatest roller coaster ride anyone ever invented, starting your own thing and you know, doing doing your own business. Cause there are times where you're going up the hill and you're like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then you're going downhill like, holy shit, this sucks. <laughs> so I've I've had both. And I, I think what I've learned out of that, and I've helped my wife has definitely helped me in this, is that predictability and consistency are really important both in, in schedule and in monetary, uh, you know, what what you're making every month. And so for me, those months where I had really great months and then I'd have two or three months where there was little to no revenue coming in, it was really hard to create some evening of the cash flow. And so one of the things I learned was that, you know, if I were to pay myself a set salary as non sexy as it seems, when you have a month where you're making rampant amounts of money, you know, you kind of want to bonus yourself here and there, but I've seen too many entrepreneurs do it where they make, and I'll just throw out numbers. Let's say they make 20 or $30,000 in a month and they go out and they buy a, a Rolex and a brand new car and the car has a $900 a month payment and you know, yada, yada, yada. And then six months in they're struggling to make ends meet, you know, borrowing Peter to pay Paul and they end up having to sell the rolly and trade the car in and take a loss on it. So for me, it's always been about what is this even keel number I can stay at and live for the most part on last year's income. So if I'm living on last year's income, I know I'm always bettering what I did last year. If I'm living on last year's income, there should always be a surplus.
0: And to that point, is there can you recommend, let's say, somebody looking at that as a strategy to help be even right and their income is there a percentage or hard and fast rule that you learned that that our listeners can apply
1: and then also just to add to that like how did you start that because you had to start somewhere and how does that look
3: yeah so for me the i don't know that there's a hard and fast rule patty i think for me it was let's make a budget. Let's figure out what we absolutely need. And then let's bump that up by a certain amount. And that becomes what, what I'm going to pay myself every month. And literally just like a paycheck comes in and my wife is very routine and she's very um, analytical about how bills are paid. So it was important for her to have a check every two weeks. So that's the way I've set it up. So every two weeks we get a paycheck and you know, there have been months where I've said, Hey, we got to scale that back by five hundred or a thousand dollars and and this is how we're going to adjust but we've always been able to adjust to it as far as how i set it up and what i would encourage other entrepreneurs to do is after you've been in business for a period of time i think it's really important to have a business line of credit like a cash flow line of credit and the reason for that is if let's say you go two months and revenue is down or expenses have been really high and you're down to an amount that you're less than comfortable with in your checking account, knowing that you have a line of credit sitting uh, you know, behind that, that you can draw 20 or 40 or $60,000 from it at any given point in time, it, it adds a little bit of safety and security to that because you, know, you're, you, you don't want to go high on the hog and go draw it completely down or completely up and then you know, go, okay, well now where do I go? the goal is to have that as sort of the emergency cushion that when you need it you have it there to draw from and for me that's created a lot of peace and stability in the business because there are months where i've i've gone lean or had huge expenses and i have to dip into that cash flow to pay facilitators or contractors or one of my employees or myself for that matter but i know that as i forecast out the cash flow another 2 months it's very easy to pay it back, to fill it back in and be back on the positive side. So having that is really important because the number one reason businesses go out of business is they're undercapitalized. That's the okay. number one reason. And when they run into a financial difficulty, they close their doors and they, you know, fold up shop and all of that. I just never wanted to do that.
0: So that would be applicable for somebody um, in order to get a loan, just a little bit of high level education they would have to have a business entity, right? So really they are an entrepreneur, they're a business. So you can be a solopreneur with an LLC or entrepreneur or a business setup. Like it sounds like you have more of an agency model potentially with more employees, right? So this wouldn't apply for a wantrepreneur, right? Who hasn't taken that full step into entrepreneurship.
3: Right. Although, you know, a wantrepreneur could go out and get a, uh, you know, let's say they get a business account at their local bank or credit union, and it has a DBA, a doing business as whatever their business name is, that is going to prepare them for when they do go and get an LLC and, you know, put that in that business account. Now under the LLC, they're probably at that point entitled to go out and get a business line of credit, assuming their credit is good. You know, a bank obviously is going to pull, your credit report to see how, how good your credit is before they approve that. But but yeah, an important step for sure.
0: So those two years and 120 books that you read really did you good. <laughs> this is so helpful. I'm sure this to, is going to be helpful for people.
3: I'll tell you, this one's not as sexy, but, but uh, <laughs> it's worth mentioning. I've had a tax guy that I've worked with for the past 12 to 14 years, and um, he has taught me an immense amount about how important it is to understand the tax code and what you're writing off as a business owner, because you know our, our tax system is set up to the advantage of business owners like us. Exactly. It is not set up to benefit employees. In fact, it's actually set up to punish employees. <laughs> so all the more reason for people to join a boss-free society yes. is that you, know, you have a lot of leeway and leverage with business expenses and things like that. So I cannot understate that enough or overstate that enough, how important it is to to understand taxes and where your money's going.
0: Oh, I so agree. As a matter of fact, I, I had a year in review with my accountant, same deal. And just talking to my accountant about all the potential, all the write-offs and just of course you do have to keep copious notes, the records and and whatever, but there's so many advantages. I'm going into year three now into my entrepreneurial endeavor and that, that financial piece of it. And it's just so enlightening and to make sure to align yourself with somebody that definitely understands that tax code and, and just the, the responsibilities, um, that you have just to cover your butt a little bit, but in doing that, it just comes with tremendous rewards. So I completely agree.
1: Absolutely. I think, yeah, being a business owner, one of the main things that you should align yourself with is, is a great tax account, uh, accountant, because you're going to need it, you know, and, and because I mean there're so many different, you know, codes and there's different laws and you can get unindated with all that information. So it's good to kind of outsource that, right? (laughs) Yeah.
3: Well,
0: I always say it's like, if you're really bad at something where even if I have my master's doesn't matter because I hate the number side of it, I can understand it all day long. But the important thing is I don't want to bog down my brain. I just found somebody that's really killer at it. And then you build um, like a coach that I have says, build your wealth circle. And when you do that and you're kind of reaching out to the people who can help counsel you and, and coach you through, as your business progresses i think that's really huge so
3: absolutely okay. just for your listeners one thing that that might make it easier because one this this guy i work with simplifies everything down to the ridiculous but as far as taxes go it's it's not something to be afraid of and in talking about it again not a sexy topic at all but people are afraid of debtors prison and you know and all of these things if you are overt about how badly you're trying to screw the government, then yes, you could get in serious trouble. (laughs) Uh, That's my (laughs) disclaimer. But in reality, you need to know five things. You need to know where did the money come from? Where did the money go? Who did you spend it with? Why did you spend it with them? And do you have records of it? Those are the five things you have to know. If you know those five things, you're protected in almost any kind of audit. So where did the money come from? Where did it go? Who did you spend it with? Why did you spend it with them? And do you have proof, a receipt as an example? Right. And if you have those things, you're good to go. That's so awesome.
1: good that's awesome well so adam good. we're we're, we're, we're butting up to the to the timeline here i, I wanted
0: to. No. <laughs> <laughs> wait i have a question though for adam as i do oh, want to oh. know and we definitely want to plug in the doc plug the documentary and what's next for adam it sounds like you're jet setting off to england but how soon is your documentary coming out and what's up for 2015 for you adam
3: Some big, big things for 2015. So the documentary comes out, or right now it's slated to come out in February. Oh, wow. It will probably hit, I'm guessing we will end up with a final release date sometime in March. But some of that's dependent on the partners that we bring on at the same time. We have a number of financial institutions and other uh, companies out in America, like beloved blue-collar companies in America that we're targeting and saying, you should be a part of this message. We want to help spread the word. And so that may, you know, put that off another month or two. But it will definitely be out in 2015. I'm going to uh, London in April. Uh, I'm in Vancouver uh, this summer for another engagement. I have about, I'll probably have somewhere between 20 and 25 college engagements this year. And then I'll do another somewhere between 30 and 40 engagements um, with corporations and associations wow. and trade groups when it comes to banks and credit unions and financial literacy and all of that. Um, the big one, and I, this may be news to you guys, I am following your lead and there is a podcast coming out in January and it is called the Build a Bigger Life podcast.
0: Oh, that's awesome. brilliant. And so yeah. the overall, so the overall uh, angle of that podcast is what?
3: We are interviewing people who do more of what they love to do and less of what they have to do.
0: I love So that. it's
3: folks who have engineered their life to go out and pursue their passion and do what fires them up every day, not those that uh, – and it's really geared for people who say, I want to make a change in my life, but I don't know how to do it. And all these people that we're interviewing have done it and done it well. And uh, so it's, it's going to be a very inspiring show.
0: Oh, that's amazing. You have amazing things going on next year yeah. already. It'll Kudos. be very
3: cool. I, I don't cool.
1: know if there's going to be uh, if there's going to be enough days in 2015
3: for all the stuff we got going on. <laughs> I know. I I'm also going to clone myself. I'm in. I'm in the uh, cloning phase right now.
0: Slacker, you're a slacker, Adam Carroll.
3: I have a couple of Petri dishes right here where I'm growing a second <laughs> and third body.
0: Don't oh, wait. I, oh, I'm sorry. I just have one more. I do want to point out that you have some mad funky fresh moves because I saw you in full Michael Jackson choreography at Tim's wedding. Word. <laughs> <laughs> so so the next time you're on, we'll have to cover all about that. So
3: I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, you know, for, for a skinny balding white guy, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fresh.
0: Yeah, I was impressed. I was impressed.
3: He's, he's pretty fly for a white guy, right? Well, I am pretty yeah. fly for a white guy. <laughs>
0: now, I was just
1: gonna. I was just gonna, the last thing I was gonna say was, if you know, people are listening, they want it. They want more Adam Carroll. More they, they Adam. Want more. They want more Adam. How do they go about more? And uh, you know, what anything you want to plug, you have at it.
3: Yeah. So, well, there's two websites. One is AdamSpeaks.com, which is kind of my core website. It will focus more on all of my speaking content. And I think there's some additional content on that site in the way of videos and audio. And then buildabiggerlife.com will be the uh, the podcast where that's being housed. Um, so check out one of those two sites for all things Adam.
1: I mean, this is great. The thing the thing that stinks is that there's so much more stuff that we could be talking about. So I mean, many. Adam has you know a, a seminar called Succeed Faster for College Students that we didn't even talk about. And I mean, there's just there's just so much, Adam. So much, so I know. Much. Well, good luck, good luck with your podcast, and we're uh, we're excited for 2015 for all of us.
0: Yes, definitely, it's going to be a killer year, Adam. Thank you so much for enlightening our audience about what you have to share. So much, and hopefully, we can get you back on.
3: I would love it. I would love it. Thank you, guys. I love your mission. Keep up the good work. You
0: too. Thank you, Adam.
3: Thank you for listening to the Boss Free Society
2: podcast. If you want more. Connect with us on Facebook at Boss Free Society Fan Page, Twitter at Boss Free Society, or join our group of other boss-free-minded peeps at the Boss Free Dojo on Facebook.